Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Remap Sports and Sports Adjacent Podcast that sets out to disprove the notion that people with lives dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also be unhealthily interested in what nerds condescendingly refer to as sports ball every Super Bowl. Rob, I start off every episode with a new question. Do you think it's a red flag that Caleb Williams went up to his mother and started crying when they were eliminated from the college playoffs? And do you think that means he's not tough enough to survive the Chicago media? I do. Uh, I'm sorry. Like... <laughs> If you're if you're a little boy in this man's game and you need to go running to mama when you lose when you lose a big game, uh, then you just aren't cut cut out for the killer be killed world of the Chicago Bears. No, I I think like it's it's so funny. Like like I am sure there are still there are scouts who do think this way. Uh, you know, again, like there's there's that great scene in Moneyball, right? Where they're the scouts are starting to bring in like wild metrics for, for what they think a guy is. Uh, but if, wasn't is CJ Stroud, wasn't CJ Stroud, the, um, wasn't a talking point in the draft list. I'm trying to, I'll look this up to reconfirm it, but I believe he like scored poorly on some brain test that they do. And oh, the wonder look, I think it's that it's, it's, it's something like that, but like, I believe it was Stroud. He's like, Oh man, like, don't know if he can hack it in the NFL. Whatever bullshit metrics test we've come up with, he he can't do it. Um, and he looks like he might be like a Hall of Fame quarterback already. But if you're asking, is this going around? Rob, I was not 10 minutes into a Christmas gathering uh, before one of my uncles came up and said, boy, I really hope the Bears don't draft Caleb Williams. Did you see that he cried with his mom? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I need to exit this conversation. But that's going to be... That's going to be a talking point. Did you know that he paints his nails, Rob? Do you think if you paint your nails, do you think oh, you could man. be a quarterback a in the NFL? a generation of like football dads and uncles who are just not prepared for how the world's changed. Mm-hmm. Just, zero, just zero sense of how, like, what has been going on with younger people uh, over the years. Or at least they thought that it wouldn't encroach on the world of, like, masculine sports and, and things like that. Um, you know, it's the, same, it's the same way that people were like, uh, Justin Fields is, like, vegan or vegetarian. And there are people who are like, well, that's not that's not a good sign. And it's like <laughs> it's probably a fine sign. Uh, it's he's going to he's going to be great. But, yeah, it's I think there's there's this notion that, uh, well, I think it's true of every profession, any sort of like pursuit where people sort of try to reproduce themselves to an extent mm-hmm. where it's like if football is sort of founded by. 
uh, macho, roughneck, uh, you know, smash them in the face type dudes. You know, generations of guys who are like hiring and promoting based on like, are you a smash mouth football player? And they will create a system where they're like skeptical of like, what's it mean that a guy has feelings and expresses them and then goes seeks comfort from his mother? Uh, there's going to get there's there's, you know, only in the world of football would you have grown men being like, well, that's weird. That's not a good sign. <laughs> uh, so I've looked this up. Uh, so CJ Stroud uh, had perfect response to critics of the poor test score at NFL draft. So he it's similar to the Wonderlick. This is called S2 uh, and S2, according to S2 cognition.com. Discover how you process the game. Five components make up the complete picture of human performance. While physical attributes such as strength and speed, how prospects stands out, it's their unique cognitive abilities and in-game decision-making, their instincts, that truly separates the good from the great. S2 defines what was once undefinable. The S2 eval uncovers an athlete's invisible skill sets and the whys behind their performance. Um, and so CJ Stroud had a uh, like historically, like somehow did not pass this test or like have a good score. This is a quote from him being on the, uh, the Pat McAfee show, which is okay. We don't need to get into that, but uh, he's, yeah, he was asked about, you know, what do you think about, you know, scouts thinking like you can't hack it because of you, you test poorly on this. The eye in the sky. Don't lie. You watch the film, put on a tape from college said Stroud. Like I love the eye in the sky. Don't lie. And he has, he has balled out. We'll get into that when we talk about the wildcard weekend games, but if anything, it goes to show and which creates so much stress about the next couple of months for the Bears is how many millions were spent developing that S2 test, right? Which is essentially trying to say on some level, how do you capture what makes the hardest position in sports quantifiable so that when you pick one, he good? <laughs> and like, CJ Stroud looks like a top five quarterback right now and according to this fancy website and this fancy score he shouldn't have been able to pick apart a defense and he, he's he's doing that just fine which sets up for Caleb Williams who is the uh, 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 a quarterback from USC he has been talked as like the you know in a similar sort of vein as like a Trevor Lawrence uh, like the next Andrew Luck the next Peyton Manning like the next high value you cannot uh, pass on him prospect um, as the Bears approach the draft in the coming months with the number one pick in which they will be able to choose their path. Do you trade down and stick with uh, Justin Fields? Do you uh, take Caleb Williams? Do you take uh, a guy who has uh, perhaps a lower ceiling but a higher floor and is great in maneuvering in the pocket with Drake May? Such such things will unpack going forward. But uh, I will say, Rob, having watched all the games this weekend Nothing convinced me more that the Bears have got to drop any notion that Justin Fields is the guy than watching the quarterbacks this weekend and what they did and what you have to put on your back. Sometimes guys just don't have it. I love Justin Fields. We've talked about how much we think he's like such an interesting, good person. I wish things had worked out better here. There is nothing that tells me you add a Marvin Harrison Jr. and then suddenly the Bears are cooking the way some of those players were this weekend. They don't have it. They didn't have it with Trubisky. And all you can really do is just roll the dice one more time. Yeah, but I also feel like, you know, 
you don't have a coaching staff you should feel particularly great about. Um, you know, mm-hmm, let's, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, one of those things where the moment they decided that with a number of, uh, you know, great coach prospects out there they go after, they were going to stand pat with Matt Eberflus, a guy who, you know, the big thing is, the, the big argument for him is like, well, after he lost a shit ton of games, that team didn't quit on him, and then they won some games. And then they didn't win enough to compete for the playoffs, but they won, you know... It's this is a team that like as they regress towards 500, which the NFL is designed to do. The NFL is designed and set up to make sure teams don't get don't get too bad or too good. It's only a few outlier franchises that are really reliably good or bad, uh, but it is set up to like have you sort of regress to being like eh, average, about 500. And only the Bears are like, man, we really put something. He showed us something. That team sort of clawed back to around 500, and maybe that means something, but. You know, yeah, you you know, if you're looking at the quarterbacks who are who are leading these teams right now, there's a lot of them where you saw them in situations where you've seen fields do the exact wrong thing in that situation and again and again. And here you see quarterbacks doing the right thing. And also you look at a lot of these teams and you see a lot of coaching staffs that have like they're able to adjust they're able to drop game plans to absolutely knife good teams and very little evidence that the bears have one of those uh brain trusts running running the organization as well so i i come away from i i came away from the the news that they were firing their offensive coordinator and retaining their head coach a lot of my optimism left the building at that point because like it was another example of the Bears operating like a small, comfortable family business, which is what they are, and being like, well, you know, we like the guy we've got. Let's just, you know, stand pat. And it's a good place to work. Everyone likes each other. So, you know, why rock the boat? And you only make that decision if, like, fundamentally the, you know, the vibe in the office is more important than the results on the field. And that seems to be how the, how the bears operate. Uh, it's only us fans who are like stuck. That's all we get to taste is <laughs> the results on the field. Uh, but yeah, like I, I came away sort of feeling less optimistic, you know, just knowing that we were going to have this coaching staff return. And then the thing that was the real knife to my soul was Jordan love and the green Bay Packers and realizing that rebuilding don't mean you got to suck. <laughs> That's true. Look, the Buccaneers as well. They're rebuilding as well. And they just knocked the defending NFC champs out. The one thing I'll say, potentially in defense of the Bears, is so who who's the like the, the one surefire candidate that people seem to want? Like it's Ben Johnson, right? The the offensive coordinator for the Lions. Um, let's say they had fired Maddie Refluce and the Bears job is available. There's that, and there's also the the Commanders fired Ron Rivera, and they have the number two pick sewn up, brand new ownership, fresh slate with the GM. I don't know that there's any guarantee that the Bears get Ben Johnson. Maybe maybe having that complete fresh slate where you are starting in lockstep with a with the GM is going to be more appealing than helping the Bears navigate with that. I, I just don't think it's a slam dunk that Ben Johnson was coming, especially for uh, staying in the division, right? Maybe that would even give him some pause that like after rebuilding, helping rebuild the Lions, he wouldn't want to go in the division and the commanders were more or less just as appealing. Once you get past that, it's not like there's a murderer's row of coaches where I'm going, hey, 
And I don't even like Matt Eberflus that much. But when you go through the list of fired coaches, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Ron Rivera, Arthur Smith, Brandon Staley, Frank Reich, Josh McDaniels. Do I really want, how many of those guys do I actually want more than Matt Eberflus? Matt Eberflus is just a different version of Mike Vrabel. Um, is he that, like, is he that much better than Mike Vrabel? Well, than, a way or, worse record than Mike Vrabel so far. Well, like, <laughs> right, but they were in a different eras of their, of, of like their team building, right? Like the, the, the Titans are in the tear down, figure out what they're doing next. Again, I am, I, I still wish they were starting from scratch, but as I see some of the dust settle on where the makeup of the coaches is, where those coaches might be inclined to go. I do I do wonder if sometimes the devil, you know, you know is better than the devil you don't. And absent, there have been a handshake deal with, you know, a Harbaugh or a Ben Johnson. I, I don't know that the Bears were necessarily going to upgrade at the at the position. Um, I mean, you're still right that they're a cowardly franchise that would rather stick with what what's here. And like, well, the, the guys in the locker room like him. They'd like the next guy. They liked Nagy. You know what I mean? Like the yes, players exactly. are professionals. They will, they will move on. Um, Which is also a reason like, because my parents were, I was on the phone, my parents, and they were like, I don't know if they can get, they shouldn't, they can't get rid of fields. Locker room loves him. And it's like locker room loves lots of guys. Like the nature <laughs> of football is like, you love a guy. And then it's like, I got traded and he's gone. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. like, that's uh-huh. just, that's how it is. Like we, we like the idea that they're all friends and like the respect of the other football guys matters a lot. But like, you know, again, I return to it a lot, but as we've now since learned, nobody liked Russell Wilson when the Seahawks were at their best. Didn't matter, you know, whether or not they liked it. Maybe in the end, as things started to get a little choppy, it did matter that, you know, there were people who didn't have a lot of confidence in him and didn't vibe with him. But like, you know, when things were good, it didn't matter. That he was kind of a weird guy who alienated people. Uh, you know, the, he showed up on on Sunday. No, I, I think it's kind of a I, I see your point about, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a ton of clear upgrades for the position um, short of, you know, a couple of the standouts. But I also think like one of the, one of the things that you, that emerges from this is a bit like quarterbacks, man, you just don't know what you're gonna get with head coach. Yeah. Like did people expect D'Amico Ryans to turn the Texans into like not a respectable team, but like maybe a legitimately very good one. They turned it uh, down. They turned it. They turned, they turned like that was a franchise that has been, Sad sacks of shit ever since the Deshaun Watson stuff went sideways a couple of years ago. And they just, they went, I mean, it's overlooked. They just beat the team that they like got a bunch of draft picks. Like, you know, like the Browns came to the Texans and they lost the team that in theory, they trade, like acquired a player from them that was going to turn their franchise around. And instead, the, all the Browns did was waste, you know, a year of a historically good defense because Joe Flacco had a cool couple of weeks. And look, I'm he, I I was here for the Joe Flacco experience. I was so enjoying was I. watching my old man get out there and make it work. And then he threw back to back big sixes and it was like, right, right, right. This is okay, why th- yeah. this is Joe Flacco. This is actually closer to I the Joe so Flacco. bad cuz they kept deciding in these it, during Flacco mania when they kept returning that quote of like it means so much to him those kids can watch him and see what he does and understand what he <laughs> what he is. And I was thinking about that as I saw the second TD go in and I was like kids, now you know who your daddy is. <laughs> this is this is this is what daddy used to do. And this is why daddy doesn't do this anymore. <laughs> the- 
there is something especially haunting about the pick six in particular because it's one of the most crushing plays in sports because you just hand the other team six points. And at least when other forms of things go wrong in a football game, you get a breather. You get to think about it for a little bit. Like if you throw an interception, the offense comes out and then they have to take the ball down the field. A pick six, they just, you fuck up like horrendously and they go, well, here's the ball again. Like, why give it another try? Like your yeah. morale is at an all time low in, in, a, in a game of adrenaline. And then for him to do it twice in a row was just so cosmically entertaining because it's just the most, one of the most humiliating, other than a safety, it's one of the most humiliating plays you can participate in as a quarterback and to do it on back-to-back plays was just tremendous. Um, So I did mention all the coaches that got fired. You know, I I went through the list. Uh, I think the most notable ones obviously there are uh, the fact that Bill Belichick is no longer with the Patriots. And I think the real shocker was that Pete Carroll is no longer with the Seahawks. Um, Belichick in his end of year press conference certainly seemed to be signaling, uh, Hey, I'm willing to give up player, Personnel, to, you know, like I'll stop being a GM uh, if you if you if you let me stick around, and that didn't seem to be enough. It seemed like the team kind of split amicably. Uh, you know, we learned that Drod um, Mayo, who was a linebacker for the Patriots for a long time, and then became a linebacker coach, and was very well liked within the organization, had secretly signed an agree a, a successor agreement um, that he was guaranteed the job whenever Belichick left, which I believe was similar. They Josh McDaniels had a sort of a handshake deal, if not a contractual obligation to take over the team when he was still there um probably wishes he was still there instead of blowing his second chance at a head coaching job with the Raiders um and uh so Belichick's out and is interviewing with the Falcons and I mean I you know this gets in a little bit to the to the outcomes of the games but if I was a betting man I would say that Belichick ends up on the Cowboys before the the month is through that's my bet man I I wonder so much like because the Jerry Jones thing looming over that is such a the big personality involved. The who mm-hmm. gets to be the big man, who gets the credit for all this. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, Robert Kraft, they're always very quick to, like, pay lip service to him. He's such an important part of this organization. Like, look at him as little sneakers. You're part of this, too, Bob. <laughs> uh, but. And he, he did do important stuff like he would have he would have conversation, be the human touch in a lot of ways that like Belichick was not uh, in places. But this was Bill Belichick's team. This was his era. It's not you know, we we you know, we center owners in these things and be like, man, Belichick and Brady and Robert Kraft, man, Robert Kraft was signing checks. And like, he you know, it's he, he didn't have that much to do. Well, to his credit, right? Like he hired. This is the, the 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 problem that many sports owners get into is they they don't hire a team or, or, or buy a team in order to then hire people to competently run it. They buy a team because they think, well, I've managed a stock portfolio before. Certainly I can run a football team. And what we find over and over is they cannot. <laughs> no, but it would be cool to run a football team. Kind it of. It would be cool. Until it starts making your life miserable, which I think is where like you kind of end up in a place where if you're not good at it. You kind of end up in a place where you're Jerry Jones and you're like, I just want one win before I die. He does. It's so it's it is so transparent that all he wants is just not even a Super Bowl, but just to 
just to just to taste it, just to get one close. good run, just yes. one season that doesn't end in a fizzle. <laughs> well, I don't even know if I describe what happened this weekend as a as a fizzle. So uh, I don't know any other thoughts on Pete Carroll out at the at the Seahawks. I mean, that seemed like a. I mean, that I, Pete Carroll seems like a. He's definitely uh, a weirdo, but I also think he could get me to run through a wall. Um, he seemed yep. like a really fun coach to play for. Um, and I'm, I guess I, I, even I was sort of shocked that they wouldn't just let him run out the string with Geno Smith when that, till that contract was up. But they, um, I don't know. I, I don't even know where, where that team well, goes next. So I was listening to Mina Kimes uh, show the other day and you know, the explanation, she's a huge Seahawks fan. Yeah. So like she's, yeah. she's a very good football analyst, but she knows the Seahawks in particular. And her gloss on it was like, Gino had a very good year. Like if you look at the numbers and also his tape, like he did, he did very well. There was not a like, oh, the, G- the Gino train has run out of, run out of momentum. The C- the Seahawks defense was terrible. Uh, they were getting torched right and left. And if you're a defensive coach with a run, I'll get these guys to run through walls for me guy. The minute that team stops being that. And the offense is like still making it work, but the defense is just like quit. It does. It's fair for the. It's fair for the org to ask like, has this has this string played out? Yeah. Um. I'm surprised they didn't because I do think it's been surprising how good the Seahawks stayed consistently. As like we now know, Russell Wilson didn't have much on the ball these last few years before they got rid of him. Uh, they navigated the transition away from him pretty well. I'm surprised to see him get the axe, but at the same time, like it might also be a sign of a, a functional, healthy organization that like, Hey, we're at a crossroads here and there's just no need to continue. Like we don't need to reinvest in this guy's vision when clearly he hasn't figured out the answers, you know, over the past few years and the parts of the team he's good at are starting to suck. It was well, and, and funny enough. It's, it's actually very Belichickian to cut bait with, like what you would have expected is, look, Pete Carroll has given this organization so much that you let him play out the string, or at least until he until he retires. Uh, and instead, they're kind of cutting bait like a year early. Like, do you want to do this one more year, and maybe they they only win five games? Is that, is that like is that how you want this to end up? And instead, he goes out on a season that wasn't a disaster. It's you know they didn't they didn't win. It wasn't what happened to Belichick, where you win like. You're, the parts of the, t- the the team building that you're now bad at are so apparent that what's on the field, all that you all that's left that you can contribute is like hype guys up and get them to play hard, which is kind of what Belichick can do now. I think he's still like a pretty decent coach, but as a like defensive mind, I mean, who, who like who's to who's to say? And Pete Carroll at least has lost his fastball on on in that regard, and I think cutting bait with him makes some sense because it, I don't know, it feels. It doesn't have to get yucky. Like it doesn't have to feel like a feel like a, a disaster. And and you know, frankly, that's how it Eberflus probably saved his job, right? If that team loses three other games, uh, the defense doesn't have Montez Sweat show up. I mean, he's almost certainly fired as a result of that. But you know, he's yeah. a defensive coach and the defense showed up and played better down the stretch. And so he gets to he gets to keep his job and everyone can go down with the ship in, in two in two years if it if it doesn't go well. This is like this is one of the things that does that I do find like so interesting about sports. It's maybe one of my favorite parts of it. Is like I like watching the games and I like watching the contests, but like what's cool about sports is you're watching organizations compete. Structures of full of people who don't do the thing on the field, but it's still like the entire organization is out there like fighting 
but in a way that we get a score at the end, we get some sort of metric of like, did this work? And so many things in life, you just don't have any idea, right? Like, you know, we, most jobs you don't have. And by the way, most jobs don't lend themselves to like tons of metrics where it's like, are you good? Are you bad? Did did you make number go up? They'll try. There's a lot of, (laughs) they will try. And a lot of times they will, they will ruin those jobs and ruin businesses. Like trying to like, you know, they will invent num- a bit like the S2 test, right? Mm-hmm. Like if a number and a metric does not exist, we will create one uh, just so that we feel like we're not like, you know, blindly groping through the dark. But what's so fun about like sports being in this place is you see all these organizations facing these choices about like, well, what's wrong here? Is it the talent of our employees? The, the, you know, the, the, the guys on the field, is that the issue? Or is like, are they kind of good, but actually it's like they're not being well-led, they're not being well-managed, or does it sit higher? Is something like wrong with the entire way the the org operates? And at these moments, you see all these organizations sort of trying to look at themselves in the mirror in some fashion and try to identify, like, why isn't this working better? In the case of the Bears, it means watching an organization look itself in the mirror and be like, it was probably just bad luck, and move on and, and move on the next season. But at real football teams... That turns into a, hey, Pete Carroll has done great things for us, or Bill Belichick has has done great things for us. These are both, you know, probably inarguably great coaches. But people have their time, and it is now time to, like, give someone else a shot in that role. Yeah. And who they do and how that's going to look is is the next exciting part, right? Like, what's the new look of the organization going to be? What's the vibe going to be? Like, you know, is there anything more fun than, like, what happened in Detroit over these past few years where Dan Campbell like has a teardown season that is God awful. They can't win a, win a game. They win one game that year and they're, they're crying. They're, you know, next year they knocked the, the Packers out of the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the, at the end of the season. And now look at them. Like it's one of those things where who would have guessed that a dude who, you know, is hired and starts talking about, we're going to bite kneecaps off. Who would have guessed that that guy would be like one of the architects of like one of the best turnaround stories in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, maybe there's no better way to, to start than to to talk about that game. That was far and away my most anticipated game of the entire weekend, just because of the narratives, Matthew Stafford coming back to the stadium, to the team that traded him, Jared Goff going up against the team that essentially Left him for dead, like in the week. You're the problem, man. Goodbye. Like essentially, McVeigh has been apologizing through the media for how he handled that entire situation. There was a story that um, uh, I think it's Andrew Whitworth. He was the center for the Rams. Uh, he retired after the their Super Bowl win, um, uh, and he he was good friends with Goff. And so when Goff finds out that he's traded, uh, he finds out he was traded, and then McVeigh canceled like the end of year wrap up meeting that he was supposed to have with Goff and Goff requested it to happen again, basically with the message being, I I understand this is the end, but tell it to my face and explain to me why you did it. Um, Because the way like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the reporting, a lot of the profiles I've seen of Goff leading up to this have been like, he's a very, he's actually a lot like his coach. Um, uh, 
uh, in which like he's very per- he's like a people person. Um, so he he lines up with the values of the like Dan Campbell the Lions really well. Um, in which like he to tell me you know not in a spiteful way but like tell me to my face what I did wrong and why this didn't work. Um, before I get out of the building, and that seemed to have landed with McVeigh in a way that in the years since he realizes he could have handled that frustration he had with Goff uh, much better than than he did. I mean, I mean, it's also very easy to forget how the most boring Super Bowl of all time, you know, the the, the Rams, uh, a Patriots uh, uh, Super Bowl where they won, Rams scored three points, um, a defense, a, def, a defensive monster game. I mean. It's fine, but that was a pretty boring uh, Super Bowl to, to, to watch, ultimately. Um, I mean, I thought that game lived up to everything and more. It was probably the best game that weekend. It was close. It was tense. Both teams were fucking awesome. Um, Maybe the only really good game of that weekend, which yeah. we'll come to. But I would say, in general, super wild card weekend sucked. Like Super I, blowout I weekend. I came to the end of a lot of evenings watch, of watching football being like, I could have watched a movie. I could have played a game. Like that might have been a better use of that time. But this one was like both the teams showed up. Uh it you know, it didn't come down to the wire wire, but it was like it was still in doubt till till late. Uh and then it's impossible not to the Lions have been so generationally bad that it is funny frequently when they were bad, you just kind of had to like laugh at them because like they had such the fans were still bought in on the Lions and it was like it was like the worst version of the Bears. Like, there's nothing. Your team is a perennial joke. You're basically the Jets, but, uh, you know, a few miles west. Like, that, you're never going to be good. Um, They've never won always- the NFC North. I did not realize that. The last time they won a division title was before they mixed up the conferences. The NFC Central. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's how long. I, I was like, oh, I know it's been a long time. But no, it was under like a different organizational structure of no. the all NFL. the stats about how bad this team have been. They're just like your, your jaw is on the floor where it's like nothing. Like, again, the NFL is built not to let teams stink this bad over yeah. this period. And they found a way. <laughs> uh, but that also means that, like, you know, watching the Lions develop self-respect and like pull themselves out of the tailspin as, organi- as an organization has been really heartening. Uh, and then, you know, you come to a game like this and, you know, when they clinched the division, it was impossible. You could tell how much it meant to that team, how much it meant to the, the, the people in the stadium. And same for this game. Like this was, I don't think you're going to see more emotion than this uh, until like a Super Bowl. But even that's such a corporate thing. Like these are Detroit fans in the stadium. Like, that was like a religious ceremony. This was this was, was their Super Bowl. I mean, by like yeah. given all all the emotions involved, given the presence of Stafford, I I fully expect that they're going to win next weekend. They go up against the, the 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 Bucks, and I think the Bucks are surprisingly decent. But I and we'll get into you know chatting through that game. But I don't think you're going to get the same emotional crying because there's just this release. It is just. You know, in many ways, it feels, you know, when you have these teams that are perennially awful, like the Cubs, right? And like before they won the World Series in 2016, it's just this, it's an entire lifetime. Sometimes people don't, you don't get, maybe you die and you you like, you never get that. Like I, I was reading stories when the, the Cubs won the, the World Series in 2016, yep. where yep. there were people listening on the radio next to like the grave sites of like their parents or grandparents, whoever instilled that like generational 
fandom in that team with them so they could listen, win or lose, with that person who is not even here anymore. And it's it's haunting. It speaks to how irrational and emotional sports are, but how much they can mean to us in the best and worst of times. And I like it's what made me so terrified leading up to that game. Because we've seen so many teams lay an egg, I, it was going to break my fucking heart if the yeah. Lions dropped that one. Uh, whether And both scenarios were terrible. If they were blown out, that's horribly upsetting. If it's a close one, that's horribly upsetting. I, you know, I look forward to a world where the division's a little more competitive and I can be in a space where I, I hate the Lions, but I'm not there. They're, they're the team nope. I'm riding to the Super Bowl. Like, I, I, I want nothing more. Jared Goff is too likable. Like, to, ha- like to be left for dead and then to be in this space where that, that, that quote at the endgame speech where Dan Campbell looks over to, uh, uh, to Jared Goff and says, uh, he, hand, he throws him a game ball and he says, you're good enough for Detroit. Jared Goff. And I'm like, fuck yeah! Like, I'm ready to punch a wall right now! <laughs> Dude, it's... Yeah, and says, like, you know, this, you know, he's been a part of this, and I'm sitting there, it's like... It's not true, but it's beautiful to think so. Oh, they are doing like, such they, a retcon they put, job. They put I a do pick not... <laughs> in, that man, they had to put a pick in his pocket, right? To to get that trade to go. Like, people didn't want him unless it came with draft capital. He, he alone, as quarterback, was not valuable enough to to take on what people two felt first was kind round, of a liability. Yeah, two first round picks and they adopted his contract. It was it was essentially a salary dump and a bribery yeah. with with uh with picks. And so it's very nice to read a lot of this report and it's like, hey, we saw something in him that others didn't. Man, that's I feel like that is a lot of people explaining to themselves how brilliant they were because this is all worked out. And that's still like and it's still an incredible credit to all the coaches. It's a credit oh, yeah. to Goff. It's a credit to the team building. But there are like so many other different ways that like there's a reason that people have always said, well, at some point they're going to run out of road with Jared Goff and have to then you got to really draft a quarterback. And maybe that doesn't happen. And this improbable sort of run and synergy ends up working. But I don't know, Rob, it's very easy to imagine that Ben Johnson leaves next year. The offense yeah. sputters and they're still pretty good. But, oh, man, like, look at the Eagles, right? Look at what happens when it, like, do I think Dan Campbell is a good coach? Yes. But what happens when Dan Campbell's, like, special sauce is gone? Like, they're probably still a pretty good team. Are they still, are they this good? Can Jared Goff do that on his own? I don't know. But it's, um, that's the future. Right now, it's, like, a beautiful story. And I I want, I want nothing more than to see more uh, photos on social media of Detroit Lions fans in tears after a win because I was really enjoying seeing that this weekend. Yeah, it it was it was really heartening. The the moment where oh, just a quick thing too. Seeing David Montgomery in uh, a meaningful playoff yes! game and get a huge like fight your way into the end zone touchdown. Fuck so yeah. now it means something. Yeah. Now it actually like, you know, you're playing relevant football. I feel like for him and like imagine like Roquan Smith, two guys who were like, I I'm happy to be a bear. I want to be a bear. And it was like, man, how do you feel now? Like now you got a taste of like an organization that's like like got its act together. How how does it feel? What's it like to win? That like yeah. matters. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was great. The the moment I, I loved the moment where when they when they gotten the the final first down where they could just like uh, like run the victory formation. That first snap where 
uh, Goff stands up like a dealer walking away from the table, you know, puts his hands up and it's like, it's done. You know, guy, like it was such a beautiful moment of like getting all these things off your back. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. The, the only, the only really good game, uh, of, of the weekend <laughs> and then a whole bunch of d- games that were like interesting, mm-hmm. but in the way that like, it is often interesting to read stories about like, why did that airplane crash? <laughs> it's often like a fascinating tale of like mistakes and, you know, faulty assumptions, but like, it's not good to have an airplane crash and you, and you regret and you regret having seen it. Well, I, I think no, no game speaks to that more because the, the, your, your, the metaphor works two ways. I feel like my heart has crashed into the ground because all we got, Rob, was about a stretch of six weeks where the Packers look like they sucked. That's it. That's all God could give us. That was, it. It was just a mediocre stretch in the middle of a season is all we're ever going to get because this team is probably going to be excellent for another 10 years. On the flip side, you have the actual plane crash, which is which is the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, we had to rewind while I was watching with my neighbor. We rewound it a couple of times because we'd be chatting. And it was like, are CeeDee Lamb and Dak Prescott yelling at each other in like the first 10 minutes of this game? Like the vibes on that team it felt like a team who was wound so tightly, they were just unable to actually just perform the basics of being a football team. Like the weight of the Jerry Jones of it all, of the the weight of the expectations, like this is the team. Look how good we were all season. This is the moment. And whereas with the Lions, played fast, loose, they're having fun, they're meeting the moment, the Cowboys seems like they just immediately shrunk from it and... I think the Packers are good. They're not this good. I think this had far more to do with the Cowboys imploding than it did with the Packers. I think, they're, again, I think they're good. I'm not trying to downplay them from the perspective of a Bears fan. I just think it is, they were shown to be disproportionately good relative to the Cowboys implosion. For me, this is one of the big questions hanging over the Packers right now. Because, like, if it turns out that sneakily they become a great team toward the end of this, this football season, then, like, the fact that the bears have this really disappointing underwhelming game at the end of the season suddenly like doesn't look as bad. Um, you know, if it, they, mean, like, it means they actually played the them Niners, pretty well. And then like, we just ha- didn't have a functional offense. They scored 17 points or was it not 17 points against the bears? And it was like 17 it wasn't a game. Right. And like 17, yeah. nine suddenly you're right. looks very different if they make it to one game out of the super bowl. Yeah. And so, like, I just don't know, because I, I would also say, like, it sure looks like the Cowboys imploded. But sometimes things implode because, like, you've just run into the uh, rock to your scissors, which I think was uh, Brad Spielberger is one of the football columnists over at the he's the football columnist over at USA Today. His argument was that statistically, like, there were a lot of red flags uh, waving for the Cowboys heading into this game because, like, everything the Cowboys predicate their offense and defense around is stuff that, like, the Packers have been really good against throughout the year. Like the Packers have sort of spec their team out to counter these strategies. Uh, and so to an extent is what you saw was the particular result of like the Cowboys identity ran into kryptonite, uh, which in the form of the, the Packers identity, I'm real curious to see what happens next with this team. Um, I do think it is weird. NFL commentary teams don't generally do vibe checks. 
a ton. They don't like their, you know, it's not their place to speculate. They tend to be cautious and conservative about this. The fact that Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, it almost felt like they were talking around something. Like they already knew something was wrong that was like deeper. Like they kept returning to this theme of like something feels off about the Cowboys today really early on. And the ca- the cameras were picking up all this stuff. And I'm like, was there some inkling in advance that something has gone badly wrong in this locker room before this game? Because it was weird. Uh, like nothing, nothing looked right. Um, you know, CeeDee Lamb seemed, you know, he seemed to be having an emotional conversation with Mike McCarthy after the first possession. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't track. Uh, and then, you know, to make matters worse, uh, the Cowboys defense could not get a stop. Not just they made, get a stop, like catastrophic secondary breakdowns where there was that one play I forget I think Luke Musgrave I think is maybe the player on the Packers anyway but it was the one where it looked like they were like intentionally left him wide open 40 yard I mean there were multiple secondary breakdowns where I mean it was it, is this preseason like what what is going on like they didn't really face a functional defense and that was that was wild to see that those breakdowns made no real sense to me, mm-hmm. um, especially given how good they had been. Because it was guys losing their man. Yeah, like it, it was. It was not like a lot of times you see a guy get o- get open. And it's because like when you look at the replay, and they don't show a ton of all twenty two replays. Um, which another reason why I like the Amazon broadcast a lot is there's that mode you can just watch the the full field because that's mm-hmm. where the game's happening. But a lot of times when you do go back to see like, well, how did this guy get open? A lot of times it's because you put guys in coverage into tough decisions. Like, which guy do I stick with? Or you will do things where you'll have two routes overlap in a weird way. And so just physically guys get obstructed out there on the field and they fall off their, they fall off the guy they're covering a little bit. The Packers didn't seem to be doing a ton of that. Uh, one of the replays we saw is just like a linebacker dropping into coverage and just watching his receiver run off and <laughs> yeah. nobody picks him up. And, like that just can't happen, but it seemed consistently to happen where when Jordan Love wanted a like 12, 15 yard pass, uh, you know, over the middle, uh, it was there, you know, that some that, that somebody would be angling across the field, just standing open past the sticks. And that was his that was his check down pass where it's like, <laughs> well, I got to get rid of this. I will just take that huge chunk of yardage. Thank you. And then he also had like orbital strikes that he could dial up. Oh. And what was demoralizing as a Bear fan is that he can throw orbital strikes. Yeah. Uh, that he has a big arm and an accurate arm, and he thinks at the speed of the game. Uh, and this is something I thought about a lot over this this past week, where it's like, you will see, especially when a quarterback is hot, you will see a defense get desperate and be like, we're going to blitz him. We're going to put him under so much pressure, we're just going to blow up the play before he has a chance to form and then see what happens. And when you do that to Dustin Fields... The second he detects that pressure, he will panic. He'll hold on to the ball. He will stop making reads and start to run around. And because it's just in field, sometimes he can get away doing that. Sometimes he wastes 20 seconds <laughs> off the clock and gets tacked. A lot of things can happen. Uh-huh. Not all of them bad. But the thing that never happens is what we saw, you know, Jordan Love do, what we saw Baker Mayfield do, where they see pressure. And they don't even have two seconds to throw the ball, which is the sort of the NFL standard is like you have two seconds. You have to like have arrived at a decision about where that ball is going. But with these blitzes, you don't even get that. It's like, you know, hike 
and immediately there's a big man like bearing down. <laughs> and really good NFL quarterbacks punish you for that. They might get hit, but they see that big man coming down and immediately like they have a destination for the ball and they pick up a chunky yardage. And it's like, wow, like Jordan Love, who we've never seen until his year, can just do that now where it's like, oh, he he makes you eat your pressure. Uh, that's not good. No, and I'm with you. It was just, it was distressing, and it's hard to pick apart where the Cowboys end and the Packers begin, which is why the 49ers make for such We're gonna a fascinating a test. I think you will learn a lot about who this team is, what their ceiling is, how much of this is uh, a special moment, how much of this is uh, a, you know a team really clicking. Uh, the 49ers have an exceptional defense, and they have an exceptional run defense as well. Well, they have an exceptional everything defense, but in particular, like Aaron Jones. I mean, you watch the Cowboys game. Aaron Jones did whatever the fuck he wanted. Every single play was seven, eight, 12 yards. And there is no play that is more demoralizing and exhausting than a running back that cannot be stopped. Because run plays are exhausting to defend, and they also are just so blatantly show that you are the weaker team, right? Like, so it's like there's so many, there's a reason you, the Packers stuck with that so often and then could get those orbital moon strikes off of it because they, the, the, the Cowboys kept having to put more people in what they call the box to defend that run, but it didn't matter. It just felt like every time Aaron Jones touched the ball, and he's a great running back. Yes. So, it's a it's a good scheme with a great running back and a, a team that was a defense that was reeling. And it just seemed like every card that you could turn over if this game was translated into a series of cards was just advantage Packers, advantage Packers. And I can't tell how much was an advantage for the Packers or a weakness of the Cowboys. And it seems like obviously those melded together, but it just felt like I learned nothing about this team other than Jared Love uh, or Jordan Love is is not a bust, right? Like they're going to sign so, him to a big old deal. He's going to be on the Packers wanna... the next couple of years. Um, okay. So the real winners of this game beyond all measure, Matt LaFleur's reputation just shot through the, through the roof. Oh yeah. Ryan Gutekunst may have just become the Bill Belichick of the front <laughs> office where it's like, no questions about you, sir. Uh, no. Tell us, tell us what to do. Like, this is the one part <clears throat> I am. I am dismayed as a bear fan to see that like, at best, at best, we maybe have a reasonable chance of hoping to become the third best team in the NFC, NFC in the NFC North. Mm-hmm, 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 maybe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. probably not. <laughs> but the Packers in a rebuilding year, where like, how often do we hear this? The youngest team in the NFL, youngest team in the in the playoffs. They're 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 babies. Tons of rookies, and rookies don't rise to big moments like that. They did. They were extremely well coached. They were they were ready to perform this year. They got their their jitters out early in the season. But also the thing I I, I want to administer a truth serum to Brian Gutekunst because it's like, did you actually know? Did you actually like because it has certainly felt, and this was the narrative was that when they when they drafted Jordan Love, that's when Aaron got mad. Aaron Rodgers, this is the, the beginning of the end of the marriage, is that, like, you didn't show me enough respect. You're bringing my replacement behind my back. And everything everything flows from this. Years of dysfunction with, Aaron, you know, Aaron Rodgers sort of being at odds with the organization once again. And in all of that, the big question that a lot of people had was, 
why would you do this for Jordan Love, who you've never let anyone see play? Um, he's a complete black box. He's just sitting there behind Aaron, and the team still runs runs through and around Aaron. Uh, it seems like you pay an enormous price for drafting, you know, a decent but not particularly impressive, you know, college prospect. Uh, did they know? Or did they get, or is this a happy accident that like what was going to be a solid like replacement QB to get you through a rebuilding phase has turned out to be a, a great quarterback? Or had they known that they cultivated enough to a point where he was ready for ready for primetime uh, in this way? I am so curious to know what the answer is to that, because it sort of seems like if you knew you had this waiting in the wings. Maybe there's a point where you tell Aaron enough is enough, and he hit that point earlier than than you did. Well, they seem to hedge their bets, right? They renegotiated his contract, um, so Jordan Love is still on a rookie deal. Well, I guess not anymore, but they essentially did not pick up his fifth year option, and instead signed him to a two year deal that was team friendly and gave them an out, I believe, after a year. So, you know, I think you look at that as my guess is they had confidence that he could run Matt LaFleur's system. And then the goal of that contract was to figure out, like, hey, these are going to be transition years. If we only win six, seven games, we know that. We're just trying to figure out how all these pieces come together. And if if Jordan Love doesn't fit, well, there's some great quarterback drafts ahead of us. We have extra draft capital from the Rodgers trade. Uh, or we'll fit this team together, and maybe Matt Lafleur is a Kyle Shanahan, and they go that route, which is is we'll just find a plug and play piece. And the syst- like the thing that Rodgers always resisted was embracing the system. I am the system. I'm the guy that's amazing, and increasingly it looks like Matt Lafleur might be yep. closer to a McVay or Shanahan, in which uh, I'm not calling Jordan Love a system QB, but the beauty of what for them is that. What if you have a good quarterback that is okay with being in the system? What happens then? Because that's not what the 49ers have. The 49ers, I mean, Brock Purdy's fine. Um, I know his numbers are astronomical, but I think that is more system than player. And he's just a really good system quarterback. And Jordan Love seems to be a good system quarterback. He's not a system quarterback, but he's happy to run it because he knows he'll respond to orders, which Rodgers wouldn't. Right. Like this was the remember there was that huge guy. I forget where it ran, but there was a huge piece investigating into the breakdown of his relationship with Mike McCarthy. Yeah. And it was about like, you know, it, it's a very funny piece. We, we should we need to pull it up. Oh, is this is like, where, where Rogers was just ignoring the play calls. and was like he's just running his own at the line. <laughs> and I remember one of the one of the pieces of analysis was like. Having Aaron Rodgers run your offense is like plugging a supercomputer, uh, you know, into you know, into solving problems for you. But once the supercomputer stops like taking instructions, now it is just like Skynet and it's taking over. And that's what happened with Rogers where like, eventually he's like, I make better decisions than you do. I am going to do what I see fit at that point. It's no longer Mike McCarthy's offense, no longer his team. Now McCarthy, you know, in the background of that story was like, he seemed like kind of an unserious guy. Again, very love the perks of the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't want to, didn't want to work too hard. Um, you know, just did a lot of things that rubbed people the wrong way in terms of looking, looking like what people want to see from an NFL coach, which is a willingness to destroy yourself and your life, in, you know, in the service of the job. But, 
in retrospect now, like when you when you see this, a, a game like this, uh, it's got to be so sweet for uh, Lafleur and Gudekunst, where you kind of have the you now have the results you can point to and be like, it was you, you son of a bitch. It was like Aaron. It was you. Like, why did why did the wheels always come off the off the wagon in January and February? I I don't know, Aaron. Maybe it's the fact that you won't take coaching. Maybe it's the fact that like we can call whatever play. And you just stand there hanging out of the ball being like, what's the most awesome thing I can do right now? And you'll stand there waiting for the window of opportunity that never comes because it's the playoffs and you're surrounded by good teams. And probably we're at Lambeau and the ball don't throw so good anymore, <laughs> which is the other weird part. The Packers do not have home field. Yeah. And Rodgers always took that team to the postseason, like with home field in general. And you saw a lot of playoff games sort of come to a disappointing end at Lambeau. And it's like, it's just not a good place to be throwing the ball. It, it gets hard to sling that thing in the cold and the wind. And like, it's easy in, in the fall, but like, are the Packers going to, you know, the, the year they won with Rodgers, they also didn't have home field. That's where they beat the, crossed off the Bears at Soldier Field and they yeah. went on to the Super Bowl. Um, but like, does it turn out that like the other X factor here is that it's a hell of a lot easier to have an offensive game plan when you're not playing at Lambeau in uh in 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 the winter? I believe the last two times the 49ers and the Packers have traded off have played uh they've traded where they've played. One year they played at, at Candlestick. Yes. Uh and then I think that was uh, the champion the conference championship game. And they where, just, the uh, Packers got smothered. Like that that yeah. game was not particularly competitive. They basically took away the run and there just wasn't any like it was just Rogers slinging passes and going three and out over and over again. Um, and then at Lambeau, um, that was a really snowy game, big weather game. And I think the 49ers won, ironically, on a Robbie Gold kick uh, to to end the game, um, which was beautiful uh, as a Bears fan. We get Jimmy G and Robbie walking off the field. Jimmy ah, G being like, fuck the Packers. I regret. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh and so there's actually something kind of really fascinating about this particular matchup because it is Matt LaFleur walking in to the same death trap, the thing that has prevented him from going all the way during this these last like five years that he's been the, the coach of the Packers under wildly different circumstances. And yet Kyle Shanahan, you know, the, like the guy who he's, who he's come up under has always remained sort of the final boss. And like what happens here where they have yeah. to, in this this case, they still have to go back to, they're going to play in San Francisco. They're going to play the 49ers. The 49ers are just devastatingly good, have shown very yeah. few uh, flaws. And uh, it's an interesting matchup of similar sorts of systems, uh, similar sorts of team roster construction. Um, I, I'm, you know, we'll get to that matchup yeah. in a second, but I, I you know, I, I, that is that is my game of the weekend personally yeah. is just is is just is those two. Well, you just you love to see a job well done. And genuinely, it is impressive. It's cool that the Packers were able to be like the year that's like well, we're just going to be recovering from the, the Rogers hangover. It turns into a hey, we got some guys who can ball like <laughs> look, look, we know yeah, these that, guys. That's awesome. Uh, they're not even mad and, if the Bears beat them and knock them out of the I mean, they're mad, but they're like, well, I mean, that's wasn't supposed to happen this season anyway. Like, wow. Like, uh, like the Bears beat us like next year. Of course, we're going to the you know what I mean? Like it just it yeah. wouldn't have been as emotionally devastating. Um, it's just icing on the cake. 
Well, and, and now they got to like, uh, I don't know if they have it in for Mike McCarthy. I don't think there's bad blood in that way, but it's just funny that like he gets like just flattened by them this way. And then, yeah, uh, Rogers, who's increasingly kind of a ridiculous clown show uh, off the field. Um, you know, the one thing you'd say is like, well, he is the greatest quarterback in the NFL, at least until Mahomes is around. He's, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL. And now it's like, dude, your understudy is taking this team farther than you've been able to in 10 years. Oh, I mean, like, like <sighs> Packers fans are feasting. Like the yeah. Bears are in complete chaos. Uh, no idea where they're going from here. They're yelling at each other about whether, you know, a college player crying is going to disqualify him from being number one. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers. I don't know, coin flip on whether he plays another down again. Like, I know he's going to play next year, but like he might crumple immediately all over again for all we know. Uh, and he's turned into a, a could a be vort- bankrupted by a slander lawsuit at any moment. <laughs> right. And otherwise he's just out here, like acting like an ass every other week. Uh, and then Mike McCarthy gets completely shown up to the point that he might uh, get shown the door after having more or less an incredible regular season run. Uh, I mean, I think literally every narrative is is it arrow pointing up for for the yeah. Packers, even the ones that ro- rotate in their cultural orbit. Last thing I'll say about McCarthy, the Cowboys in general, just beyond the, like the thing that I don't like about the position they are in is it feels like this just shouldn't have happened. No, like now you could always say that a lot of the the record McCarthy amassed was like them beating bombs. Right. That they, they didn't do well against winning teams. And that it's clear, like they haven't had a lot of signature wins and a lot of the, the they've they've racked up a lot of wins against teams that are that are really mediocre. And that that is kind of why people don't take them seriously as a championship contending football team. And then you have stuff like this happen, which really seals the reputation. But the record is what it is. Uh, they put points on the board. Uh, the You know, the, this year, the offense was was really ticking. Defense has, has been good for good for a while. Uh, all the signs were there for this to be a pretty damn good football team, and yet they they got their doors blown off. And it feels like you have to fire the coach in this situation. You can't just go and get another quarterback. Like you come out of this feeling not great about Dak. Like you know, day of we need a win. Is, is he the guy? Doesn't look like it. But where are you going to get a guy who's better than Dak? Right. And so it feels like you got to do something. It also feels like anything they're they're going to do is likely to make that team worse, not better. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, 
I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one, and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code REMAP at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. Right. And I think similar questions face... uh Another complete collapse, which was uh, the uh, the the Buccaneers Eagles uh, gained those thirty two to nine. Poor one out for Austin Walker, who at least told us that he had written off this well, team about a month ago. Like a lot, of Eagles he'd fans written them said. off when they were like ten and one. Right, yeah. that's the funny thing is like I thought that was him just like being a quintessential Philly Eagles fan because uh-huh. that seems to be the relationship that that fan base has with the team, which is even when it's good, it's like ah agony. They suck. How can they do? This? But he was pretty – he did not have a good feeling about the season from the start. Uh, and I was like, yeah, okay, Austin, well, just keep enjoying your wins. Oh, was it stressful, baby? Okay, well, my team over here can't – hasn't won in a calendar year. But it does turn out to be that this this was a – it was not just a playoff collapse, but it was like – it's like the whole team decided they didn't want to play with each other anymore. Yeah. It was like it, – it, like the vibe of that is like everyone taking their ball and going home with weeks left on the season. And <laughs> then they were all thrown together. Different planes brought them to Tampa where they could get just demolished, but it didn't feel it was, it was bad. Uh, that's, that's another coach where like that probably should be a coach killer because I don't know how you see a team quit on itself and each other to that degree. And you don't look at like what the hell is going on with the culture of this team. Well, and like the, the biggest decision that was in Nick Sirianni's hands over the course of the season, right? Like uh, coordinators leaving, going to better jobs or or uh, higher jobs. You can't control that. That's the natural ebb and flow 
of a team experiencing success and especially a team that goes to the Super Bowl. Uh, so, you know, you can't really blame him for like losing, uh, you know, a, a coach that goes to the Colts and a coach that goes um, to the Cardinals. Uh, but I think like there was no other bigger red flag than unceremoniously demoting your defensive coordinator, bringing in bonehead dipshit pencil man, Matt Patricia, who has been an embarrassment across multiple franchises now, is clearly just a coach that has been propped up by the best ears of Bill Belichick into a, a myth that has been regularly demystified uh on the by the Lions, by the by 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 the Patriots, uh uh, you know, Josh McDaniels as well, right? Like there's a long history. There is no Belichick tree. It's just him and the guys that he brings in and then operate under his coaching system. Because once they leave, it turns out they don't have much to offer. But simply making that decision, that spooked me so, because it was such a panic move. It didn't speak to any real logic or reasoning. And you saw that blow up, you know, it's not that the defense was playing particularly well under their previous uh, coordinator, uh, Sean Desai, who was was the Bears at, coordinator, was the Bears game. coordinator for a year um, after Fangio left uh, to the Broncos. And then he went to Seattle uh, and was on the Seahawks and then came over to the Eagles. Um, so, you know, I, I, I is neither here nor there on Desai. I have no idea. But the way they made that move, I think that spoke volumes about Sirianni as a coach. And I'm with you. Like the way this collapsed, uh, like teams go on losing streaks, but the vibes were completely like this was a culture collapse. It wasn't just a like uh, a team going on a losing streak and having the ball bounce like the wrong way. This felt like a team watching or a coach watching a team slip from under his fingers. And the only thing that he was that was actually keeping it together was winning. The moment they faced yeah. any sort of real adversity. Everything just completely fell apart. And the guy that, you know, is is yelling at Chiefs fans because they beat him in the first game of the season as they exit the tunnel suddenly looks like just a complete weirdo, a coward um, who is hiding behind a bunch of wins that may not. He may have had like absolutely nothing to do with. Yeah, it was. um you know the 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 thing about the who, who knows what goes on with that defense, but the thing is they they inarguably got worse after yeah. Patricia showed up. Like the thing that if this is going to be or oh we need someone to come in and emergency salvage this, the thing that can happen is the defense looking like they forgot how to play ball. Like they just started getting absolutely like they forgot how to tackle. This was talked about <laughs> on every broadcast the last few weeks. Is yeah. like. The ability for sh- for small yardage gains to turn into uh you know touchdowns was jaw dropping. You just watch Eagles players like you know land on their face or bounce off dudes uh and then break tackles for for touchdowns. Uh, it was really apparent yesterday that like you know there were times where again Baker Mayfield's throwing a check down and boom. We got another touchdown on the board, another 20-yard gain because, uh, God, there was that play where, where two Eagles, uh, like uh, defensive backs, get tangled up, take each other out of the play, uh, and then <laughs> it turns into a touchdown because the guys are supposed to be uh, dropped into coverage or not there because they're on the ground. The other part of it is, <clears throat> you know, Philly 
has this reputation as a very physical team. They're an imposing team. They're led like Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback, but the other thing he's known for is like he's one of the biggest, baddest uh, players in the NFL. You know, he's got the ridiculous. He can squat a small car. Uh, he's just you know he he is beast mode, and he's got an arm. And the whole team's kind of this like we play we play tough. Uh, you know, we we play imposing football. Well that requires a certain emotional pitch a register to operate and it was gone. Like it was shocking the degree to which like Todd Bowles's Buccaneers looked like they were there to destroy people. Like this is again, like this is part of the dark magic football. We like seeing guys get bullied. We like seeing guys get knocked down their ass and thrown around out there. Like it's part of what we love. And sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes it does feel like, Oh, it's a scheme matchup and it's like people playing the chessboard and it's not as it's not necessarily football in that way. Todd Bowles appeared to have a game, a game plan where it's like we are going to just keep hitting them in the face over and over. Uh, and usually the Eagles are a team where I would have said, you don't play that game with the Eagles. The Eagles mm-hmm. will hit back. And it just felt like from the first, like uh, Rashad White is the Buccaneers running back and every single play it looked like he was taking years off the Eagles lives, just like running hard into them, knocking them down. Like he would go down eventually, but it felt like it felt like every single time it was like they were (laughs) this downtown had been leveled by Godzilla. And I didn't think of him as one of those running backs. And he still might not be Rob. like, this may be a situation in which the Eagles essentially just laying down on the field and going, can we just, can we stop playing? I mean, there's there's something beautiful about watching athletes who are like superhuman in strength, in analysis of this one particular thing they spent their entire life doing. And then they get punched in the jaw. And you can see the souls leave all of their collective bodies. But there's no slaughter rule. There's no ending no. the game. No. You have to pay at play out the string. And you can see there's there are a few things more. If, it, if it's going to be a blowout, at least it should be an entertaining blowout. And this is a very I found this to be a profoundly entertaining blowout because it was just a team going. Fuck, man, like, I don't want to be here. Like, do you want to be here? Like, I don't want to be here. And the and the Bucks were just delighting in beating them while they were down. And, and I think part of this fueled by a team that had literally nothing to lose. The Bucs were never expected to be particularly good. You do not sign Baker Mayfield because you think this is what we're going to the Super Bowl with. And they are almost unquestionably not going to the Super Bowl. But they are a team in transition moving out of the Brady area. Todd Bowles at the beginning of the season was one of those, he might be the first coach fired sort of people. And now that guy's probably not going anywhere. Is that the right decision? I have no idea. But they make for a profoundly fun team because there's What's also extremely fun is seeing a team that knows it's playing with house money. Yeah. And they play a different way. They play looser. They're playing more like they're just there to have fun. It's the op. The bucks are playing the opposite of the Cowboys. Like the Cowboys are looking at like, we have mortgaged everything for this moment. Yeah. We need to live up to it. And it, it like it paralyzed them. They were like unable to perform the basic tasks they had done all season long because the moment was too big well, if you didn't yeah, expect there true. to be a moment, you can like, you can just play ball. And yeah, it just that seems is like a good analogy. Like the, the house money is a really good one uh, because it is like you like to a degree. 
you do have to be able to risk things. Like you can't, as we see many times a, a game with, you know, don't bet what you can't afford to lose mm-hmm. as they tell you to put a gambling app on your phone and like just <laughs> make life feel good by betting on things. Just randomly. This, Who gives a Rob, shit? Don't you want to feel something? It's called the no sweat bet for a reason, Rob. <laughs> but, but the thing about it is, yeah, the Cowboys did feel like Jer- Jerry was like, no, this is my life savings. <laughs> Because there ain't much life left, probably part of it. So like he's rich, he's richer than God. But like this is my life savings. Now I'm gonna stake you, and I need you to go to Vegas <laughs> and like turn this into a fortune. But this is all I got, so you can't lose it. And those two things aren't gonna work, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you gotta you gotta be able to put it on the line and be like, well, that didn't go well. Ah, well, <laughs> you know, we'll try again. Millions down the drain. And that is indeed like how the Cowboys were playing like, oh, man, Pa's going to lose the farm. <laughs> and and the Bucks are out there being like, hey, let's see if these guys, let's see if we make these guys cry. Let's send these guys home. <laughs> and the other thing is this, that game was not as close and the score wasn't close, but it wasn't as close as it looks because Baker had a very good game. Yeah, And his receivers dropped a lot of balls that would have been huge pickups or maybe touchdowns. I feel like there was probably... At least ten points, yeah, maybe fourteen. Could have been left worse on the table. Could have been drops. worse. And so, like, yeah, you saw the difference there. The the other thing is this: the way good players just turned bad. Jalen hurts that final safety. Where oh it's my like, god! Sometimes plays bust, and again, the quarterback just has to. He's got a huge arm. You can always just step back, throw it away. Just like point to a spot on the field, off you know downfield. Hurl that thing and, you know, not. but instead he kind of Justin Fields it. Yeah. Where he's like, he saw, he sees the oh, play no. breakdown happening. <laughs> oh, no. And he just starts scrambling. This is after after the Eagles running back had done the exact same thing and like <laughs> lost 15 yards trying to like get out of the busted play. Mm. But it was like. Hertz is a smart quarterback. This is one of the things you hear about him. He's a, he's got good instincts. He's smart. You know. You got to know your end zone's <laughs> right back there. Like, stop extending the play into the end zone, bro. And that I was mean, that was the moment where I was like, dude, they made Jalen Hurts look like an asshole. Like this team, like this is done. This is again, this is the part that like made it fun for me. Is like, you know, I knew Austin was going to be at peace with how this works out. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those things where we were talking about we wanted the Bears to get destroyed by the Packers because sometimes you need something that's like a wake up call. And this was a wake-up call. This was a team that, like, they just stopped functioning as a professional football team in a way that I've seen very rarely in my life. Um, Like, sometimes teams are bad from the start, but it's really rare that, like, toward the middle of the season, there's a vibe shift, and everyone just stops liking each other, and nothing works, and they stop trusting each other, and then they start, like, playing down. That happened here, and... You know, it's it's one of those cases where if you think this lineup is good, and I think it is, uh, you know, they got unlucky with some injuries, but you can't let a coach who oversees this kind of collapse have a second bite at the apple. No, and to your point, uh, the reason you want the uh, the blowout is because it reveals a fundamental truth about the leadership or construction of the organization or the coaching staff, and I I think that's that's something you got here. They may choose to go for, forward with it anyway, but you gained a lot of information. Like, if they stick with Nick Sirianni, it is a 
like one and done season next year. Yeah. Like this is a yeah. you need to show solutions to the problem or it's all over. Because this is a, this is an, like an older roster, right? Like we have Jason Kelsey. I mean, it broke your heart to see the last game that he will probably play, uh, you know, end that way. Um, and, okay. you know, never, never count out the possibility of a couple weeks off getting these guys to like, tell themselves, you know what? I think I got another year in me. It's true. It's true. Uh, who that was is, the who was the long brother who played for the bear? Kyle. Kyle. Yes. Uh, that guy convinced himself for years up until the point where he was throwing throwing up from fatigue during uh, summer practice. That he had one more year in him. There is uh, there is a report going around today where this is just a good headline. Retiring Eagles All Pro Jason Kelsey yelled, "Fuck my life!" Before each tush push play. Kelsey wasn't a big fan of the Eagles famous play. So the idea that Jason Kelsey is just like, fuck my life before he's got to grab Jalen Hurts' ass and push it forward is tremendously funny. Well, no, he's not grabbing his ass, right? He's no. the guy who's going under. That's yes, the, so that yes, is the, yes. That play, I would have been so mad if I'm Jason Kelsey and that play gets developed because basically your job there is to be the very front edge of the snowplow. You're at the bottom. You you're at the bottom of the everyone. pile. Yeah. Yep. And everyone's going to be on top of you, on your back and on your neck, and that's your job. Oh, amazing. Uh, fun game though, uh, very- which was more fun than the other Kelsey game, I would say. Uh, which just felt <sighs> like a, a a nothing. Like the Dolphins played at uh, Arrowhead Stadium. Yep. Patrick, we got to get to Arrowhead one of these I days. I think so, yes. Like, like I'm watching it, and I was like, what a great stadium. That is that is a old school, like, you know, football bowl. Just exposed to the elements, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like an amazing place to, to, to play, to, to see a game, if you, were, if you were hardy enough for those elements. But you kind of knew going in <laughs> that with temperatures forecast to be about zero degrees, this was not going to be Miami's night. But even so, I was disappointed because they just it wasn't like an implosion. But it did feel like you were watching a team like fumble with their car keys for like 20 minutes, <laughs> get in, and then the engine won't start and just repeat that loop over and over again. It, it felt like I kept waiting for that game to like start meaningfully and it never did. No, and it certainly raises a lot of questions about Tua as, as a quarterback. I, you know, he certainly managed to keep himself healthy this year, right? So his karate moves uh, managed to <laughs> seem to actually help him with uh, getting hit, falling to the ground, avoiding an additional concussion. But, you know, this is a team that's like all in. They've traded away a ton of picks. Um, they're, the, the the money on the books is astronomical as well. Uh, you, only, you you do this with the understanding, and it's what you should do. You have a a decent rookie quarterback on the rookie contract, you figure out the money in the picks later if you think you got a window. And they do, but the window is showing you that... Looks like there's a screen in it. <laughs> yeah. When it ends with 20... Like, the the Chiefs looking the most mortal they have ever looked in the Patrick Mahomes era. They have not been able to do jack shit all year long when it comes to running a competent offensive football team. It is just Patrick Mahomes going effort and hoping for the best. And he is good enough that oftentimes that is good enough in order to scrape by. And 
granted, he is a, a player that rises to the occasion in playoffs and the team seemed to gel. Um, that's reflective of like good organizational structure. That's reflective of Andy Reid and everything. Um, but uh, this should have been, were you expected to win this game? No, I think there was a stat where the Dolphins were are like 0-10 in games under 30 degrees. And so I think that goes to show, even though bear weather isn't a thing, there might be something to the idea that like there are teams on the extremes of this, right? Like the Broncos, there's like the, the, the factor of like literal breathing, like the elevation and yeah. Miami is a similar sort of thing where it can often be so humid and hot down there that they get an advantage when other teams come to town during the, the early of the season, when it's the early season. I do, I do wonder if there is, I think there's an element of that here. I think there's an element of Tua being maybe just sort of an average quarterback um, and that you're right. They just did not have answers. It was just like, did you see that play where Tyreek Hill got, they call it jamming at like the, at the line, which is it's not past interference uh, to a, to a certain degree. I forget exactly what turns a cornerback essentially hitting a ride receiver when that turns into a, a pass interference, but there's a period where it doesn't, it's called jamming. And I think it's because you do it at the right at the it's snap the of the ball. Five yards. Yeah, that went right at the snap of the ball when you're trying to disrupt a route. And that doesn't become yeah. uh and he, he just uh Tyreek Hill just got <laughs> just just bullied to the ground. Um and he was actually cracking some pretty funny jokes about it on Twitter if you go and go and find his account, uh, because he acknowledged that he got his ass ass beat on that play. But it's like if that wasn't working, they didn't have anything else to go. It was like, I don't know, lob it to Tyreek and that's about it. Two of his throws were not particularly accurate. No. Uh but it also didn't feel like he had a lot to throw to. Nope. Um, meanwhile, but like, yeah, it does feel like the chiefs don't look that good. Uh, Travis Kelsey looks like his big hope now is to marry. Well, <laughs> like I, like I don't re- like, I'm not like, I'm not that simple. Like, I don't care that much about like the Taylor Swift thing. Uh, like, you know, by means everyone seems to be having fun. Uh, especially their he's lost a step though. Great. It's, it's, un- it's unfortunate for his personal narrative that he has been the best tight end since Gronk for never since Gronk retired. And even while yeah. he, Gronk was around, they were kind of one and two. These are the best. They are, they supersede like what you expect from the position. And eventually that falls off. You cannot continue being the centerpiece of the offense in that way. And that has happened in a season where the chiefs can't get anyone else to catch a ball. And he just happens to become like attached to a woman who has brought for a sport that's already enormously popular, even more attention to it. So for it to him have a year where he is just naturally degrading as an athlete, because that's what happens when you get to 30. Um, it's it's a bad look, even if and it fuels conspiracy theories, even if they are completely unearned uh, other than just he's lost a step, which is what happens to everybody. It's more than the step is the problem. It's the hands. Yeah. Like the, the passes just ricocheting off his hands was kind of like you expect that defenses pay too much attention to him at this point. He can't get open like he once did. Yeah. And yes, he has literally lost the step where like that little bit of acceleration, that little bit of agility uh, goes away and suddenly you can't shake guys as much. But when it is there, you do expect his hands to still be there and they weren't. And that is a thing where like the last thing Patrick Mahomes was, was was another guy who would be like <laughs> shuffling back to the huddle, looking at his hands. Like, gosh, I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's it's wild. It does, you know, I didn't come out of that game particularly inspired by the 
the Chiefs either. I mean, they had a game plan, which is we're going to beat the shit out of you at the line and we're going to run the ball and we don't think you can hack it. And it turns out they could not. Um, and, and they didn't have an answer on offense. And so the, the, the moment that was sort of established as the tone of the game, it seemed like the game was pretty much over and we were just yeah. kind of playing out, playing out the string. Um, and, you know, when we talk about being demoralized, it has got to be demoralizing to get your ass kicked in a in a cold weather game. Did you see that quote from uh, Ezekiel Elliott? He was so he used to be the running back on the Cowboys and he's kind of now he's just going to bounce between a couple of teams before he's no yeah. longer in the league. He's on the Patriots this year and he played in one of the snow games in the last couple of weeks and was asked, you know, what was it like to play in a snow game? And he said, I have been dreaming. He, I think he grew up in Texas. And he's like, I've been dreaming about this my whole life. I've always wanted to play in a snow game. And the, the reporter goes, well, how was it? It sucked. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like the weather has to just suck it out of you so much faster. You know what I mean? Like, if nothing is going and also you feel like you want to die, I have to imagine, like, you know, you put a balloon in, in space that cold, it's going to deflate. Well, and so if you can't get it, if you can't get anything going to, like, hype your team up, I have to imagine it's just so easy to shrink. No, and like the ground is so hard. Like, yes, it never is fun getting knocked to the ground, but like it's like falling on concrete. Um, and I am sure all these guys are playing with like aches and pains mm-hmm. that are those of guys who are like twenty years older than them, right? Yeah. Like the way you on your worst days begin to feel, like when you wake <laughs> up and you're like, ah, oh, geez. That's just kind of how these guys have to like live their lives a lot of times, <laughs> like getting ready for the next game. And, like, you know what happens in cold weather. Like, there's a reason people, like, start moving to, like, hey, you know, moving to the south sounds good. Because, like, at a certain point, like, it just hurts. Just hurts being. And these guys have got to go out there. And, yes, the only thing, the only thing that can make it bearable is the emotional high of, like, fuck, yeah. You know, we're winning. <laughs> and if you're not, if you're just getting bodied, just absolute, absolute, absolute misery. Uh, it does mean that we're we're poised for, you know, the, the rematch of uh, Bill's Chiefs. Uh, yes. Once again, at uh, you know the Bills, the Bills Stadium, because they also—I don't know what to make of them. Uh, but you know, I've thought they were better teams in previous years, and they get their ass kicked by Joe Burrow. So who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe they're going to be. Maybe this is their year, at least to to make it to. Uh, well, there's the Ravens, I suppose. But either way. Uh, do they look like an amazing football team? No. Do they look like a team with some amazing players who can like do the kind of stuff that will just put pay to the Steelers? Yeah. Yeah, they and can look, just do that. And football is just Josh Allen is just one of those players that football's better when he's playing well. Like he is just such a chaos agent. Like there are so you know, like contrast with Justin Fields, who is an incredible runner, um, is is very nimble. Uh, he moves around, but Josh Allen looks like like a safety or a linebacker that just happens to have the arm of a quarterback. Because once he gets moving, he's almost like licking licking his chops, like I am ready to fucking smash into somebody. And that is just a rare. Maybe Cam Newton was like the the last player yes, I can imagine that relish. You watch the in- violence of football. Yes, and it's rare to see – we have lots of – it's very normal these days to see these hybrid uh, quarterbacks who are able to run and pass. It is 
it is rarer to see the ones that relish in the hit. Um, and that can go really badly. You have Anthony Richardson on the Colts, who was a rookie this year. Boy, he likes to get hit. And you know what happened? He had season-ending uh, uh, injury well, uh, three, three weeks Burrow. into the season. That yeah. man's got ice water in his veins. He doesn't give a Same. shit if he, if he gets yeah. nailed. He's going to make mm-hmm. the pass. It's like, yeah, but eventually you're just going to, like, you're going to get a bad break. And the th- I think that's the other part of it is, like, there are guys like Tom Brady who legitimately, like, he loved playing quarterback and hated playing football is kind of the, <laughs> the rap on him. But I think there's a lot of guys, like, guys like Josh Allen, um, there's a lot of quarterbacks who actually do. They wish they were allowed to play more football, but like they're just not because it's like you know in the practice nobody touched this man. Nobody yep. touched this man. If you touch yep. this man, you're gonna get you know you're gonna be running laps around the field for for ages. <laughs> you're gonna get fined. Uh, Josh Allen is like the guy who he like. It might be one of the few quarterbacks who's there wishing, like, man, I wish I had the stuff to be a running back. That seems like a really cool job. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you got a better job. But he certainly plays like a man who's like, you know, <laughs> I want to be the I want to do the Heisman pose. <laughs> and he can do it. He can do it. And so uh, it was, yeah, it was interesting to watch the kind of dismantling of the, the Steelers. I and mean, the Steelers kind of, they got it together for a spell. Like, they made it semi-competitive for a bit there towards the towards the to, to the midway point of the game. If you wanted to poke holes in the Bills game, you would wonder why did they look completely dominant in the first half and then mostly just survived the second that half. That would get that would give me a little bit of pause um going into the next game. But it actually makes for an interesting matchup because you've got the Bills and the Chiefs who both have kind of odd offenses that are streaky and inconsistent but with tremendous players at various positions, and I think will lead to an, an interesting matchup. The Steelers, uh, you know, they never quite figured out the quarterback. You know, Mason Rudolph was okay. Uh, he wasn't bad, which is but he was better, better than, than Mr. Trubisky. Better than Mr. Trubisky, better than Kenny Pickett. You know, both players who I think, I mean, Pickett just got benched at a certain point. He can't, He got injured. Mm-hmm. Trubisky came in. Trubisky sucked. Trubisky got benched, and they put it Mason Rudolph. And, you know, you can make the argument, does that show that, you know, uh, Mike Tomlin for as consistently good as he is, you know, we, you know, we, we've talked about this, like in the, in the framing of, if you had to pick the next 10 years, the Chicago bears, yeah. do you, do you want to win a super bowl or would you be happy with being like reliably consistently good? And there, I think there are uh, gradations to that, right? Like you have like the, you know, essentially the path that the, the bears are chasing is they think they can be the Buffalo bills, which is like find the superstar quarterback, have the good defensive mind, figure out the rest and just be competitive every year. That's that. If the, if the bull, if the, we look back in a couple of years, that's the model the bears are chasing. Um, the Steelers are like on the lower end of that, which is look, everyone likes to say Mike Tomlin never goes to under 500, but you know what? Never going under 500 gets you is it gets you your ass kicked in the wild card round every goddamn year where your farewell to Ben Roethlisberger, a, a, a player I have no love for, like an alleged sexual assaulter, but his goodbye to football was getting whipped by the Chiefs um, like in a wild card game. And it's like, thank you for your service. Thank you for being our quarterback. And it just seems like that's all the Steelers fans sign up for is just, uh, do you want to have fun this regular season and then have none of it matter after that? 
You know, that is a better life than the one you and I live right now, Rob, but it also seems like a different kind of curse. Yeah, I I think for me, it still feels like they rode Roethlisberger too long, um, yeah. where it was like, for me, he was part of that problem of like, good enough to get it done and get you into the postseason. And then it turns out that just being a big guy who can get, can eat shit and keep playing uh, will not get you to a championship again. Yeah. Yeah. And that is kind of how it felt. And then they just struggled to, to get a quarterback. Uh, But to a degree, should the, you know, should the the front office have a more effectively, uh, you know, you can always go up and get it. It costs you more if you're if you're middling team. It is more expensive in terms of opportunity cost to trade up to like get the guy you want because mm-hmm. you don't have great trade assets, so you have to give more of them uh, to to get a shot. But it does kind of feel like they just haven't identified a quarterback they want to fully commit to. I never felt like they were fully in on Pickett. Never, yeah. it was clear they were never fully in on Rudolph. There's never been a like. Ah, the organization is behind this. Has found someone to get behind. Um, you know, it's it's felt they felt less committed to their guys than the Patriots did to Mac Jones, and that is saying something. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, I like so. I I don't know. It's um, I tend to think I would still happily live in their world. Yeah, they feel like they are a quarterback away, and not a great quarterback, but just like. A serviceable one, yeah. Just a guy. Maybe, can throw maybe the Justin ball. Fields. Maybe the man they need. He would be. Yeah, yeah. Maybe for a, a second round pick. Um. Uh. Maybe. Maybe Justin Fields. But uh, I was like, it is one of those things where it's like, is there another coach you trust more than Mike Tomlin out there? Like, well, again, it's like, who's the improvement, right? Yeah. He, he's got. He clearly has some flaws, but. It, it, it's, uh, on some level, is this the GM's fault? You know, I, 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 I don't know. Um, but um, you can do the thing is you can probably do better than Tomlin. You can also do a lot worse than Tomlin. And that is a that's a difficult question uh, to answer. Um, he did walk out of his postgame press conference when he was asked about his contracts while we're, we're recording. I checked and he's since yeah. like privately told players like he expects to be back. He's got one more year in his contract, but we may be talking about him differently a year from now, if they don't solve anything on, on offense. Um, last game from the, from the weekend was a blowout, but a really entertaining blowout, uh, which is how we have to rank many of these. Cause so many ended up just becoming those, but was Texans Browns, Texans 45 Browns 14. As we mentioned, the Joe Flacco era comes to an end, probably will not be back on the Browns next year, though. Maybe he gets a chance because he showed enough to, to functionally run an offense that, uh, understands he's going to throw multiple picks a game, but can also whip a deep ball still pretty decently still. But I think the takeaway for me from that game was just, my God, like different world if the Panthers, now granted, I think the Texans have good coach, good infrastructure, all that stuff is really important. And yet, and yet, and yet, the it factor, like the transcendent player factor, which apparently is not measured by the S2 (laughs) test, but CJ Stroud seems to have it. Like, that just seems like a dude, just seems like the guy, whatever, like, meathead phrase you want to use to describe football players that have this intangible ability to rise above. Like, good circumstances make them better, but they will, they they can go, like, they can go around bad. I, I, I expect if C.J. Stroud had been on the Panthers, they win 
five, six, seven games, and he looks promising. Um, he's I just, just that type of right. player. I oh. like. I think that is. I think that is one of like. I think that is one that that is a thing I I hear you say often, and it's the mm-hmm. one thing I tend to disagree with is that you tend to think that like there are quarterbacks who can like just fully transcend, and sometimes you get one, and sometimes you don't. I think it's always more situational than we like to think, and I think like he he appears to be great, but I think the thing you can't you cannot account for is the ability of a bad organization to fuck you up, like. On every, on, on every, but from every conceivable angle, part of what makes guys like that exciting is like they're allowed to play in sync with their instincts a little bit. You know, the, the, there's like there's that little bit of like, you know, go out there, go out there and ball. Like we're like we'll 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 trust you to to run this offense. And I think bad bad organizations like get in the way of that fast. They they start like putting guys over you that are like, no, you got to conform to the scheme. Uh, I think they've let. I think they've let Stroud like discover himself a bit. Um, but ultimately like it does like they seem to have, they, they seem to have struck gold and maybe he is the guy who like is, is so strong that like you could have put him anywhere and it would have been fine. But like, dude, I think if he got the Trevor Lawrence introduction to the NFL, I think it still gets fucked up there. Like I, I, I feel like maybe the organization simultaneously also turned a corner in terms of like who is who is running the shop and those two things have synced up so that you have like quarterback who is like better than anybody expected and then a coaching staff for the first time in the ages that's not going to wreck it and those two things have like combined to create a a really stunning turnaround story well I, and the, uh, the thing i would say is i think if it, if you're talking about like a middle of the road quarterback like you know 10 to 20. Yes, I think it is fully possible for bad organizations to completely smother them and make them incapable of showing anything that they might be able to. But I think if we're I'm thinking of the like I think CJ Stroud is going to be like a top 5 quarterback, like if not already now then like in the next couple of years. And I think those guys even in the worst of circumstances, they show you the flashes. We're like, "Oh geez, like everything around them is fucking this up." Like I don't think Bryce Young has shown any of that. Like, yes, does he have awful circumstances? But also, he's shown you virtually nothing to suggest that under better circumstances, he would justify being a number one pick. Does it mean he's a complete bust, can never do anything in the league? No. But it's part of what happened with, like, Justin Fields this year. Like, I think they finally put enough around him that he showed you, like, what are you capable of, dude? Like, what could you do if this got better? And, like, the moment those, like, 70-yard runs disappeared from Justin Fields— and he was forced to act more traditionally. I think what you found was like, could someone do this better? Yes. But I don't know that he has that like top five. Like it's just, it's just a different, I'm just very impressed no, by we how, found, how but good we found he was. that out in year three yeah. of incompetent oversight of <laughs> Justin Fields. Yeah. So to a degree, yeah. it's like who, whatever ceiling was when he came in, we're never going to achieve it. We're never going to yeah. know what it was. Cause yeah. like first year was Negi who was like, I want Andy Dalton. <laughs> And the and the next the next year was Matt Eberflus, who's like, uh, and Ryan Paul's like, I'm going to trade the team away. Goodbye. Uh, and like, so, yeah, I mean, like, you're not I, wrong. I, I, I tend to think uh, so for me, it is for me. I think it is this. There are players who are so good that if you let them just ball out, you're going to see some shit. And. Competent organizations and teams 
will like let that process play out and we're going to see what we got. And your bad ones will start viewing the quarterback like another position they got to micromanage mm-hmm. and like conform to their dog shit system. And I don't think that happened here. And I, and I, and I think that like the introduction, I think he's, uh, he seems to be a great player. Uh, I do kind of, I do kind of wonder if the coaching staff does get some credit here for knowing oh, for sure. to just like let a guy develop uh, because, you know, the last guy that we heard was like a can't miss generational QB was probably Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. We've not fully seen that. We haven't seen that delivered on, but also are we ever going to get the funk of urban Meyer off, off that entire tenure? Or does the entire thing get compromised from the start? Right. Either way, like, you know, it seemed like it's one of these things. It's so like this is what the nature of football. It's so hard to isolate. The team has an awesome vibe. Is that because they struck gold with the quarterback and they're winning? So everyone is like playing lights out and the the tide is rising and the coach looks awesome. I don't know. Or is it, you know, it's it's just one of those, it's just one of those things where it's like isolating one position is so hard. But either way, uh, Yes, Flacco threw those pick sixes, and that was like, wow, this <laughs> is not going to be that game. Nope. But a bit like the the Cowboys game, they were getting they were getting blown off the field by the Texans' offense. Mm-hmm. Like, if he doesn't, you know, okay, take fourteen points off the board. That's still not a close game. Like, if Flacco could throw those interceptions or not. The Texans were just like absolutely pounding the uh, Browns defense. But that's again, this is supposed to be like one of their strong suits. One this of, is why their window is open. Well, right. And, but this is what spooks you about the, the path the bears might go down, which is the Browns had the best defense in the NFL, like for stretches, historic, historically good. Um, and what did that lead them to? 45 to 14. So, if the Bears, like, keeping a defensive coach, investing in the defense, that's why, like, I, I need them to move on from Justin Fields because it's just not ever going to be good enough. Like, he, like, you you need someone that can meet that moment. And, like, you can plug someone in like Joe, uh, Joe Flacco. They can, ha- like, you can maybe live with the circumstances. But if you're really going to play with the big boys, like, you just, you just need someone who is that difference maker. And... Just watching Stroud, I, just, I feel like he's one of those. And the Browns roster construction just shows the limits of what you can accomplish with an elite defense. Because all it takes is a guy who is just a step ahead of that defense. And, like, what do you do when you're down 30? Like, you're chucking the ball. And now yeah. the defense doesn't have to do anything. So it's, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that Browns, at least fans, got to have a stretch of being happy, even if they got destroyed in the wild card round, because, hey, you get to go back to cheering for Deshaun Watson next September. So, like, bleakness lies ahead for, for Browns fans. A guy we are still not sure if he has anything he left. He might like, suck, too. There were moments where it was like, yeah, you know, he seems like he's like my, my thesis on him earlier this year was like he looks rusty. But like it is coming back to him. But how much of it's going to come back? Right. Because it is one of like, you know, to your point. NFL teams and players, they're closer together than you'd like to think. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the the margin, the difference between like between being the Jets or the Chiefs is actually thinner than you might think. But it is all those little places where you like 
are just that one little cut below that they add up and you're, you know, you're, you're catastrophically bad. Deshaun Watson needs to come all the way back to what he was and he just isn't. And that's with like years of wear and tear, not on his body because of the suspension. And so it's just one of those things you're looking at where it's like, man, like 80% of Deshaun Watson is not a good quarterback. Like that's just, it's, it's not going to, not for the the price, not for the price. No, no. And so this, yeah, this was a really alarming season, I think, to an, to, you know, to an extent, because like, yeah, you brought you brought Joe Flacco out of the cold and the team looked sharper and more put together while he was there. And yes, you hit a ceiling, but you kind of wonder if Deshaun Watson was the guy to get you through that ceiling or whether this all ends earlier uh, with, with him, with him at the controls. Mm hmm. Uh, before we take a couple questions, let's briefly look towards the uh, next slate of games. Saturday, uh, Texans, Ravens, Packers, 49ers, Sunday, Buccaneers, Lions, Chief Bills. Uh, I think we mentioned before, I mean, the game I'm looking forward to the most just because of my own personal investment and the matchup is Packers, 49ers. Like just yeah. all the storylines there, my personal investment, it's all it's all tied up in in that game. Like that yeah. is the one that I am looking forward to the most. I'm hopefully going to watch that game with with my brother, which would make it all the all the more fun. Yeah, and I think I think the Niners win. If they don't win, my whole thesis of what's been going on with the Packers and this this playoffs is kind of out the window. Like if if the if it gets done to the Niners, then if I'm like this is what I was saying. I think we were talking on Discord. I was like, I'm Jerry Jones. I actually want to see how that Niners go before I make a final call. Mm-hmm. Like, do anything irrevocable. I want to see the Niners play the Packers and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like what do they what do they dial up against that team? How does it look? Because if the Packers do this again, suddenly you got to be like, oh shit, like. That team's just buzzsawing people. So what's going like? It may not be a simple matter of like fire this one coach, and that's that's the issue. I think the Niners do it. They've looked dominant. Uh, they've been here before. I think that'll 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 be the that'll be the deciding factor. But I'm real curious. Yeah, because what's what'll be fascinating is if the 49ers take away Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. They're they're two good running backs, and they're able to apply regular consistent pressure to Jordan Love. Like that's the thing that has not happened to Jordan Love in the last couple of weeks. The Bears were not able to get to him. The Bears are not able to stop the run. The Cowboys were not able to you don't watch Jordan Love get sacked. Yeah. It hasn't happened. Well, he beats pressure so you can't bring pressure. That's the like I'm real like yes. But that's what I mean. If they're able to test. yes, if they're able to produce that what happens? Like does Essentially for him, what is his rookie season, you begin to see something happen from there. At this point, there's ample evidence that maybe he's able to successfully avoid that and we'll just keep rolling. But I do think kind of the final test he has to to get past is what do you do when the answers start being taken? Like, I mean, that's what happens with system quarterbacks, right? And like it's a now we need to figure out how much is him, how much is the system, how much is he elevating, how does one or the other work? When the answers start being taken away, what happens, right? Like we saw this with Fields constantly. He had to make up his own answers. Now, he often couldn't read the answers on the test. Like I think Lou Getzi was a bad OC, but I, I think also Fields, it was like not the, the, guest, uh, the, the best uh, test taker either. Like he, he has a processing issue. He's slow on that front. But that's what I'm looking for from that game. So I think that's ultimately what the entire game hinges on. The Packers defense has looked pretty good the last couple of weeks. The 49ers will have answers for that. They're going to score points. The only question I really have for that game is 
if Jordan Love has doesn't have a run game, is under pressure, what does he do? And if he answers that, then they have a shot to win this game. If they don't... And I don't need to watch football for the next time. <laughs> if he doesn't, I think there's a decent chance that game is like, you know, 33-10. And it, it goes the way that we would expect it to yeah. go. And the Packers are like, wow, they overachieved. Like, that team's going to be really fun next year. Um, so, so I'll be... So that, yeah, that's the one I'm most invested in. Um, I'm, I, I kind of hope... Lamar breaks his kind of playoff curse. He's such a good player. He's such a fun player, but he has stalled out in the playoffs. I think he's never had a better team. So I expect, I expect them to beat the Texans, but the Texans have been so good that I, I can see them putting up a fight. Um, And Lamar has flopped in the playoffs before. I just don't know how much that has to do with Lamar or how much that has to do with the teams that were put around him. I think it's a better flops. team. It's a better Lamar. Yeah, like I agree. Like I agree. A, I don't like. I think this is where the overachieve the frisky Texans. Uh, this this is where this is where they stop. Uh, Buccaneers Lions is just a kind like a more fascinating matchup than I would have anticipated. It does lead to a potentially chaotic like game the week after of Packers Buccaneers, which just would be like the weirdest possible variant of where this, these matchups could go. Um, I think the line, the lines have the, 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 the pretty clear edge here. But again, I think what makes the Bucks dangerous is they have nothing to like now the lions, there is pressure, right? Like we got that off of our back. Like, is this it? Are we about to lose Ben Johnson? Is this the window that gets us to the Super Bowl where everything has lined up? So now there's actual, I think there's even more, there, there still is pressure. There's less emotional pressure, but now it's like yeah. football pressure. Whereas the Bucks, it still doesn't fucking matter. Like they're just out here being like, can we make the Lions yep. fans, can we make the Lions fans cry? That's what the Bucks are going into Ford Field to do next weekend. And I, I think they've got a shot at it. I don't, I think that's going to yeah. be like a betting line, like Lions plus three. They're the home favorites, but I don't think it's going to be, like a touchdown favorite for them. I, I think the Bucks have shown that they are more than up to the task of kind of taking on just about anyone, or at least putting up a very annoying fight. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, the Lions, I think the, I, I think the pressure on them is going to be their worst enemy. Yeah. Uh, I think they should have this, but the Bucks are physical. Like, in a lot of ways, they're playing a team a lot like they were a year ago. Like they're playing a team that like, yeah. you know, it's not your time, but here you are. You're kind of coming on strong. Uh, you got a quarterback who's like got a new lease on life. Like there's a lot of things about it where it's like. I wouldn't be happy finding myself in a fight with the Bucs right no. now, uh, but, you know, I think they're a good enough team to to get through it. They should be. Uh, but we'll just see if they can sort of answer the moment. If yeah, if I was a Lions fan, I was hoping for the Eagles to just get their shit together and squeak out that game so that you could just crush the Eagles in the next round. But instead, I think they get a team that is just much friskier and Chiefs bills. Like, again, like we said, inconsistent offenses, but though I love that this matchup keeps regularly happening. Like these are two quarterbacks that are so much fun to have playing one another. I do think I'm rooting for Josh Allen here. Um, As weird as Sean McDermott is as much as like the moment it was revealed that who's getting the golden box cutter for this game. (laughs) Who's getting <laughs> I, Rob? There is an argument that the moment that Sean McDermott revealed he uh, had an affinity for for for, for Al Qaeda, uh, that the Bills were off to the races and transformed their team. Um, but I just I, the Chiefs are always going to be good. The Bills seem like they always have to fight a little bit harder to make it work. 
and Josh Allen is just a fun, chaotic. He, I just want to see him keep going. I would, I, I would love to see him uh, make. I want to see him play the Lions. Or, or, that's what I want to see. And yet, I feel like Mahomes wins these games. I he don't does. Know, like this is a Brady situation. Like, like I saw someone like run an analysis at some point that if you just bet on Tom Brady in the playoffs rather than like trying to play the matchups. Who's got the advantage? What's the team? Like you just bet like a hundred bucks every time for like money line, Tom Brady to win. You'd have done pretty well instead of trying to overthink it. And I think this is maybe one of those situations as well, where it's like, do the bills have a shot? Absolutely. Could Josh Allen throw two weird picks and like one of his, uh, he's running down the field, charging with the ball, turns into a fumble and Mahomes is just does what he does and they win the game by 10 points. Yeah, that seems totally reasonable too. Yeah, and they're like the thing is as much as we say like man, like you know, Mahomes doesn't have the weapons and the offense isn't clicking around him. He hasn't had to do the like fuck it, I'll do it myself thing as much as Allen has, but mm-hmm. like he does have that capacity. Like there've been a lot of great Mahomes runs of late. And he's playing with an edge. Like he's like he like you know, Mahomes is playing angry. And so I think there's kind of a weird inversion happening here where like the better team is probably the bills, but also Mahomes is entering that. Like, I'm just going to have to do this myself. And if that means I'm the running back, uh, you know, the star running back, the coordinator, if I do all this, I will. Uh, and it's working out. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that is the the weekend of football. Looking forward to it. Let's uh, answer a quick question or two. You can write in to questions at remapradio.com with the title sports. Um, hello, sports mappers. I was listening to your most recent podcast and wanted to share the time I met the man who broke my heart as a child. Growing up right outside New York City in a northern suburb in the 90s and the early 2000s, I was a huge New York Yankees fan. I remember the first World Series that my parents let me stay up to watch. Every game was the... Uh, to watch every game was the 2001 Yankees Diamondbacks World Series. The series was incredible with many great performances from both teams and some truly amazing late game heroics from the Yankees during their home games. To add to this, fuck Kurt Schilling. <laughs> but as you might remember, the Yankees lost that series to a walk off single from Luis Gonzalez in Game Seven of Seven. Uh, game Seven of Mariano Rivera, a man I thought could never blow. Oh, I see. A man I thought could never blow a lead. I'd never been more devastated in my life. Flash forward to 2019, I'm at a conference in Phoenix, Arizona, and decided to tour the Diamondback Stadium before my flight home. While touring the stadium with a small group, a tall team employee walks up to the elevator we are waiting for and says hello to the group. After a few seconds staring at his face, trying to figure out how I know him, I look down at the employee badge to see the name Luis Gonzalez. It completely surprised me and brought me back to being a sad nine-year-old. All I could do was look him straight in the eyes and say, you broke my little nine-year-old heart. He laughed and said, ah, a Yankees fan, I see. (laughs) After the exchange, he chatted with our small group and was very nice to take the time. It was an odd moment for me meeting a man who had legit caused my heart so much pain, but it also felt weirdly like closure. Maybe sometimes it is good to meet those who broke your heart. Thanks for all that you've done, and I'm very excited to see Remap grow over the coming year. Fuck capitalism and play games. Mike from Austin. All right, so quick thing just about that. One of the funniest things to emerge about that year for the Yankees uh, was what we learned later when we realized that Rudy Giuliani's piece of shit, which we all always should have known, but there, but there we go. Like people like kind of always knew, but more emerged over the years. 
the the realization later that all those like baseball games who's showing up at the way he's like sort of an unofficial member of like the Yankee staff mm-hmm. was just him inviting himself again and again. And the Yankees like not knowing what to do like that, like Giuliani showing up to all those games was just kind of him being like, here I am. <laughs> and the Yankees having to, at great expense, find ways to accommodate him uh, at these at these various events. And he wouldn't stop like he just got on this Yankees gravy train uh, and they couldn't make him go away. Because this is he's he's like so like even there the whole like I'm the mayor of America and the Yankees are my team even there it was like him sort of like suddenly squatting in the owner's box <laughs> and then being like uh, I guess I guess Rudy just lives here now uh, but yeah this the notion of meeting the player that broke your heart and having closure I don't think that could ever happen to me with the equivalent for us right which You're is Aaron Rodgers Cody Parkey just. Oh. <laughs> I think I could get over Cody Parkey. I think like I know he was a dick and going on the Today Show or whatever it is that he did after he missed that and being like, "This is so sad for me that I missed that kick." I think it I could. It's good because I'm so godly. I know. I think I could get over that. I think I could have a boat, a beer with Cody Parkey and tell him the story about me going to the game and everything. I think I could get over that. I th- Aaron Rodgers had he not had the turn that he's had. In the like the last, I don't know, four ish years during those final couple of years in, in Green Bay, and especially as he's, he's become a, you know, Joe Rogan, you know, conspiracy, yeah. like he he has rotted. He's not just somebody that was an elite athlete that broke my heart. He is just a manifestly bad person. And those are different things. There are athletes that are on the opposing side that make you feel like shit because they're really good and crush the team that you love. There's something very different about how Aaron Rodgers has become the person he has become in pop culture now makes me feel fundamentally different where I wouldn't want to even like have the conversation. Like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said anything to him if I was somehow touring Lambeau Field because I like if you and I if you and I went to Lambeau Field as part of like a fun remap thing where it's like we just got to go to a stadium every year and we're going to Lambeau Field this year and Aaron Rodgers walked by us. I wouldn't say shit to his face. Like, I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't, like, do playful banter. It's like, fuck that guy. Like, I have zero interest in having an exchange with him. I don't think it would bring me any closure to tell him to fuck off. So, I guess I feel differently about it because, like, there is no Aaron Rodgers equivalent of hitting the homer, homer that denies the Bears, uh, you know, a championship. The Bears were never that close is the problem. Like, the Bears melted down in that NFC Championship game yeah. more than, like, Rodgers beat them. Yep, yep. And yep, then in yep. subsequent years, the Bears were never, like, one Packers win away from, like, achieving something. Yeah. Um, And so it's, like, it's a weird place where, like, he's kind of this villain, and, like, he looms very large, and the whole, like, I own you, I own you stuff, like, that's all, that's all there, but in a weird way, it never felt all that personal, because, like, the Bears are just a bad team, and he was the quarterback of the Packers during mm-hmm. the window where, like, the Bears tended to be a shitty team. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, please uh, write in the questions at remapradio.com. We'll, we'll maybe try and do, like, a, especially once we're past the, the, uh, the Super Bowl, and we'll do maybe, like, an, an off-season question bucket, get a lot of people to just write in questions. We're behind on well, a bunch when's of When's the NBA tra- trade deadline? Uh, February, right? Uh, see if Zach, Zach Levine goes anywhere. Uh, 
Tuesday, yeah, Thursday, February eighth, eighth, which is hell yeah. Well, that's right. Oh, that's right before. Oh, wow, that's right before the Super Bowl. That's the the week up leading up to the Super Bowl. So okay, so there there might be some delicious. I think we'll kind of close the books on like this this football season uh, around that same time after the Super Bowl era. So I think that's probably the next time you'll hear from us um, for from sports. But um, in the meantime, you can. Follow everything we do over at remapradio.com. We're across Twitter and Mastodon and threads and, and all those places where you can see what we're up to. You know, we uh, we rely on your interest and in, in, in seeing us talk about the NFL playoffs and also video games at times uh, by signing up over at remapradio.com. We appreciate everyone that allows us to make this happen. Um, and until then, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. What, what new red flags will come up with Caleb Williams between now and after the Super Bowl? I'm sure... Bears fans will invent something in the meantime. But until then, fuck capitalism and bear down.